0: God, we come and we plead. We plead the name of Christ. It alone is the name that is worthy before your throne. And so we ask that you would be attentive to the preaching of your word, for the glory of your name, that you might encourage us, you might change us, that we might enjoy Christ together, forever. Amen. Children, you're dismissed. And I'm going to blow out these candles that are supposed to be seven hour. I think they're more like seven minutes. Uh, And I do not want you distracted thinking if the wreath is going to catch on fire, it wouldn't. It would just melt because it's plastic. But nevertheless, it would not be good and I don't want you being distracted. So... Uh, well, um, yeah, this this year and this week has been quite amazing um, in so many ways. This week has been heavy for me as a pastor, as a friend. I've laughed, I've cried, I've attended a funeral. Um, it's been it's been heavy. Uh, but one of the one of the, one of the things that has made me smile every day is that um, my children's joy at uh, this time of year. Uh, they have come to love. This season called Advent. Uh, and so Advent simply means, means coming. And so this is the time of year we celebrate the coming of Christ. And then we anticipate his second coming. And what we do in the craft household is we do something called an Advent calendar. Uh, and so each day we, we read a verse of scripture And behind a little door with a corresponding day number, there's a little surprise in there that corresponds to the story of Christmas. So it could be a a golden ring for the marriage. It could be a music note because the angels sing. It could be an angel. It could be a donkey, whatever the case is. And so our children have grown to really love this. In fact, so much so that this year, we had to start a day early. They got so excited. Uh, And we're now doing two calendars, not just one. (laughs) So I think they might be confused a little bit because they're telling kind of stories from different perspectives, but they have have loved it. And and, uh, one of my daughters, my oldest daughter, Sadie, um, Sean, can you turn me down a little bit? I feel like I'm really hot, at least in my own ears, wherever he may have been. Did he disappear? Well, when he comes back, Justin, would you ask him to turn me down? Uh, Or if you go over to the master and slide it down just a little bit, that will help. Uh, But anyway, so one of... um, the the night uh, I asked Sadie to pray as my eight-year-old daughter, and she, she was praying, she praised God for his gloriness. And I just smiled. I like, yeah, that's a made-up word. But I was, I was thinking, like, in some ways, isn't that what this season is about? We get so excited, we get so consumed with God's glory that we have to make words up to explain it. And so Uh, Common language just can't explain. Our hearts explode. And as we looked at Advent last week and wonderful counsel, this is is what Nathan began to show us. That Christ is full of wonder. That he counsels us in wonderful things. And this year we're using Isaiah chapter 9 verses uh, 6 and 7 to guide us through this Advent. So listen as I read that for us. For to us a child is born... So in this passage, we have a grand promise from God. Someone will come from the lineage of David and he will set up a forever government, an eternal kingdom. And the one who comes will be a child, a baby, a son. The one who comes will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And we know this promise points to and finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We see that in all the Gospels. Nathan showed us that last week from Matthew 4, how Matthew understands these promises to point directly to Jesus. And we see the same thing in the book of Luke. We read in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, you, Mary, will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. There it is. He will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus is the one who's from the line of David, who will come as a child, who will come as a son, who will set up a forever kingdom. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is mighty God. He counsels us in things that are unexplainable. He used the insignificant in the world's eyes to display the significance of his glory. And he's mighty God. This is a title, a descriptor used of God throughout the Old Testament. You can go read and go to chapter 10, just after Isaiah 9, and you see it there in verses 20 and 21. God is mighty Another example comes to us in Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. The promise of Isaiah 9 is that God himself will come to his people as a child, as a baby. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Mighty God, mighty God in the form of a child, mighty God in the form of a baby who will establish his forever kingdom. That's what we look at this morning. Jesus is mighty God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter five. That's where we'll focus our time this morning, chapter 5, verses 12 through 26. And as you turn there, let me draw your attention briefly to Luke chapter 4, verse thirty-three, because this sets the context for us. Jesus says, I must preach the good news of what? The kingdom of God. Should we say government? I think so. To the other towns, for that is why for I was sent for this purpose. So this is the context of Luke five, Jesus preaching about the kingdom, the government that will be upon his shoulders. He is mighty God, he's come to set up a forever kingdom. So how will this mighty God use his power? Who will be part of this mighty God's kingdom? Well, as we saw last week, God's ways are often not our ways, are they? The mighty chooses not the elite and the powerful, but the humble and the broken. The mighty God uses his power not just to display his might, but to dispense his mercy. Mighty God uses his power to make us clean and forgive our sin that we might be part of his forever kingdom. This is what we see in Luke 5. Jesus as mighty God makes us clean. Jesus as mighty God forgives our sin. There's our outline for this morning. Let's look at the first one of those. Jesus as mighty God makes us clean. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. While he was in one of those cities, that's Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. So here in these verses... We have a man who's afflicted with leprosy. And notice what the text says. It says he's full of leprosy. This was no minor condition. This man couldn't hide his red, swollen, infected skin. He couldn't cover the protruding boils and flaky scabs with strategically worn clothing. This man was completely and totally affected. But it wasn't just this man's physical health that is the biggest issue. More importantly is the underlying spiritual and social issues. So he was a leper. Listen to what Leviticus 13 prescribed for those affected with leprosy. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This man's unclean. He's cut off from the people of God. This man is unclean. He is cut off from going into the temple, the presence of God. This man is seen as defiled and dirty. He was exposed and vulnerable. Think about it. As long as he had had this condition, he had not felt the warm touch of another human. Perhaps for years, he hasn't been embraced with a simple hug. For years, no smiles to greet him, only shames of disgust to condemn him. And we don't know why he has this disease. Perhaps it's at no fault of his own. Maybe he was trying to serve a loved one. And he got infected. Perhaps he was exposed without even knowing it. And then a day, a week later, started breaking out with this. We don't know. But regardless, the consequences are the same. Despised and rejected. This man feels unclean and unworthy. So what does he do? In faith, he runs to Jesus and he cries out, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This man's faith is a perfect combination of declaring who Jesus is and confidence in what Jesus can do. He understands Jesus is Lord and humbly addresses him that way. And he's confident Jesus can help him. You can, Jesus. You can make me clean. But yet notice he also is not presumptive. He doesn't demand anything from Jesus. If you will, he says. The leper's faith creates in him one great desire to get in the presence of Jesus. He's compelled one great compulsion to get in the presence of Jesus who is Lord. In fact, it's quite amazing. This man doesn't really ask anything. His words are not so much a petition from Jesus as they are an affirmation about Jesus. With all abandonment, he throws himself on Jesus. Yet there's something a little bit strange going on. He's very confident of the might of Jesus. But it seems as though he's a little still unsettled about the mercy of Jesus. So how will Jesus respond? Well, Jesus says, I will be clean. I will be clean. And the leprosy immediately leaves him. Skin cured, boils gone, scabs disappear. Clean. With a mere utterance of the tongue, Jesus spoke health and healing into this man's life. Who is this man? He's mighty God. He is mighty God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, whose words have power like no other. That's who this Jesus is. But this is more than Jesus Is mighty God. Did you notice what Jesus did before he spoke to this man? He stretched out his hand and he touched him with compassion. That's risky. In fact, it's scandalous. Remember, Anything this guy touches becomes unclean. And anyone who is unclean is cut off from the people of God. It's cut off from the presence of God. Can you imagine what the people would have been, Jesus, don't do it. Don't, 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 don't do it, Jesus. And can you imagine what this man must have felt in that moment? The warmth of touch. Tender compassion. Just the, just the Imagine just the skin touching skin for the first time in years. Jesus' eyes filled with compassion and focused on him, not looking at his body, just filled with disgust. Jesus didn't have to touch this man. If this was just about power and authority, Jesus could have stood far off and said, all right, man with leprosy, you stand over there and I'm going to say from here, be clean. And the leprosy would have left him. Jesus, words are full of power. <clears throat> he calms storms with his words. He cast out demons with his words. He raised the dead with his words. And surely he can cure a disease simply with his words. But this is about more than Jesus just as mighty God who displays his power. This is about Jesus, mighty God, who's so mighty he has personal compassion. See, Jesus is mighty and he's so mighty that his power incarnates into compassion that's strength, that's power, that is might. See, this is about Jesus' mighty God whose holiness is more contagious than uncleanliness. This is about Jesus' mighty God who doesn't rule over his people but identifies with them. Jesus humanizes this man. He does not see him as a disease to be cured, but as a person to love. Jesus' mighty power results in merciful compassion. He looks at this outcast, the one everybody sees as dirty and defiled, and he touches him. He looks at this outcast, the one everybody sees as unclean and unworthy, is cursed by God, and says, I will be clean. So this man, this leprous man, no longer has to separate the might and the mercy of Jesus. With a touch, Jesus identifies with this man, heals him, and welcomes him back into the community. That's why Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest and show yourself that you are clean as proof. In other words, you're invited back. You're back into the people of God. You're back into the presence of God. You're restored to God and his people. This man was fully restored. Physically, yes, but much more importantly, spiritually and socially. Once excluded, now included. Once unclean, now clean. Jesus accepts this man as he is but does not leave him there. Jesus, mighty God, identifies with him and touches him and fully restores him. And isn't this, brothers and sisters, what Advent is about? Celebrating Jesus waiting for Jesus who identifies with us and touches us even in all our uncleanliness to fully restore us. Left to ourselves, we're leprous. We're unclean. Sometimes it's because of what we have willfully or even habitually done Or our doing. The weight of shame. Leaves us weary. And isolated. Other times. This comes at no fault of our own. It's because of what's been done to us. Taken advantage of. We feel unclean and unworthy, and the words defiled and unworthy tattoo our soul, and we can't scrub it away. Though we may not shout out, unclean, unclean, it's what our heart does. Though we might physically be in the camp, socially and spiritually, we feel as though we're outside. We think we're too unclean and unworthy to be loved by God and too dirty and damaged to be loved by others. But what if? What if like the leprous man here, Jesus reached out and touched us and said, I will be clean. Wouldn't that be good news? Well, I have good news. In the incarnation, Jesus reaches out and he touches us and he says, I will be clean. Jesus, mighty God, took on the fullness and the frailness of humanity. At Christmas, God became a naked baby. Powerful God, helpless fetus. The eternal word that sustained all things. Crying in a manger. See, God in the person of Jesus Christ doesn't stand far off to deal with our mess. No, he enters right into the middle of it. See, Jesus was born in scandal and shame to an unwed mother. Throughout his life, despised for rejecting cultural norms. He was scorned for chasing after the outcast and the marginalized. He was reviled for ministering to the hurt and to the hopeless. And all this, all this, to die one of the most shameful deaths imaginable. Hanging on a cross, naked, exposed, publicly humiliated, outside the camp, Hebrews tells us, cut off from the people of God and cut off from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus screams from the cross. See, the incarnation and the crucifixion look ridiculous. Shameful even. Unless that's not the end of the story. God becoming man and hanging on a cross initially looks like ultimate victory, but that victory is short-lived. In fact, it's only three days because Jesus resurrects three days later to interrupt the celebration of evil and triumph over shame. Jesus identifies with the leper by touching him. And on the cross, Jesus identifies with us. He takes our uncleanliness and our shame on himself. And remember, Jesus' touch did not make him unclean. It made the leper clean. There is more purity and holiness in Christ than uncleanliness in us. And we know that is the case because he rose from the grave. You see, our uncleanliness, our dirtiness, and even death could not hold him down. This is good news. This is the good news of Christmas. This is the good news of the gospel. That yes, Jesus is mighty God. So mighty that he's not trapped far away from us. He can come down. And this God is not just mighty, but merciful that he wants to come down. And his love so proven because he did come down and our hope so secure because he rose again to establish his forever kingdom, his government that will never end. Now we can come to Jesus with complete trust in him alone, and we can say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And with nail scar hand, Jesus reaches out and he touches us. and He says, I will be clean. And just like the leper, Jesus accepts us as we are, but he does not leave us there. He does not leave us there. He restores us to God and the community of God that we might joyfully submit to our mighty King who is also merciful. Jesus is mighty God who makes us clean. Right now, Satan is whispering lies to some of you. Lies to seduce you to believe that because of what you've done, You're too dirty or unclean for God to love you. Lies that tell you because of what's been done to you. You're too stained for mercy and grace. But Jesus, his incarnation, crucifixion and resurrection proclaim the opposite. Instead of whispering lies, you know what God does for his own? He sings over them with joy. The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing, Zephaniah 3. That's our mighty God. So I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's been done to you. I don't care the lie that Satan is trying to get you to believe right now. On the authority of God's word, I say Jesus makes you clean if you come to him. So will you? Will you come to him? Maybe that's for the first time this morning. You came in here because you wanted a nice Christmas message, not trusting in Christ, and now you see that he's your only hope to be clean before God. Will you trust him? Don't leave without talking to someone about that. If you don't know who that might be, come find me, and I'll happily get you connected to somebody. for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Will you come to him? The offer is the same. Maybe it's for the 100th time, the 1,000th time, but will you come to Jesus who is mighty and merciful? Come to Jesus. He's not ashamed of you. He accepts you as you are, but does not leave you that way. Come to Jesus. You're not too dirty or shameful. He brings grace to the disgraced He brings hope to the helpless. Jesus is mighty God who makes us clean. And if that wasn't enough, there's more. Jesus is mighty God who forgives our sins. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. One of those days, as he, that is Jesus again, was teaching Pharisees and teacher of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal and behold some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd they went up on the roof and let down his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what had been lying on, what he'd been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Here we have another occasion of Jesus displaying his authority and might as God. So imagine the scene. You're, you're there, you're in the crowd, and you're, you're listening to Jesus teach. People are pressed in all around you. Each person is kind of shuffling to get a good view of Jesus. Every man, woman, and even the children, yes, the children are paying attention to this man who is teaching. Mm. Out of the corner of your eye, you see some commotion going on. Intrigued and confused, you, you look over there. And what do you see? You see these guys carrying something on this mat. And you look a little bit closer and you're like, they're carrying a full-grown man. And then they disappear. For a moment. Then you start feeling stuff fall on your head. You start picking it out. The kids now are laughing, not paying attention to anything that's going on, picking up the dirt and throwing it. but Jesus seems to be undisturbed. And then, the dude you saw on the mat being carried comes down and drops at Jesus' feet. Now, everybody's listening. You, it's clear this man can't walk. His feet are all bandaged up. Maybe he's got braces on his legs. But it's clear He's been sitting on that mat for decades. Hasn't moved. Bed sores, swollen. The only person who isn't disturbed is Jesus. And you have no idea what's going to happen. And Jesus says, Man, your sins are forgiven. What? Huh? See, with those words, Jesus exposes this man's greatest need. And then he meets it right on the spot. Why? Because he saw their faith. These men were willing to do anything to get in the presence of Jesus. Again, their faith must include all of them. His friends to carry, the person that wants to be carried, allow them to carry. Forgiveness of sins does not come apart from faith. And so Jesus saw their faith. Their faith drove them to act. They knew that all I need to do is get in the presence of Jesus. Just like the leprous man, their faith gave them one great desire. Do whatever is necessary to get into the presence of Jesus. That was their desire. That's what true biblical faith is, understanding our need and seeing in Jesus the provision to meet it. Faith is trust in Jesus alone. But notice Jesus saw their faith. Why? Because true faith does not remain alone. See, true faith is not just something we declare with our lips. It's something we display with our lives as we trust. In Jesus, for salvation and satisfaction. These men had that type of faith. And Jesus speaks to the paralytic in front of him, and his words are surprising. It would have made a lot more sense for you to say, your sickness is healed. But instead, he says, man, your sins are forgiven. How does Jesus know this man is a sinner? Is it because he was physically unill? No. He knows he's a sinner because he's a person. That's how Jesus knows. See, Jesus is pointing to the paralytic's deepest need. He's pointing to that deeper reality, a deeper diagnosis of the very reason there is disease and cancer or anything broken in this world. That's what Jesus is doing. He is diagnosing the world, going to the heart of the issue. This is what Christianity does. As far as I know, this is unique to Christianity. It's not just that we say the world is broken and messed up. We actually have a reason why it is the way it is. So Jesus wants us to see our deepest need here. He's inviting us into this story. Our deepest need is is not freedom from sickness. Our deepest need is forgiveness of sin. Do you believe this? Do you believe that your greatest problem with God is your sin? If not, Jesus has nothing to offer you. I realize that may sound harsh. So let me quote Jesus. Drop down to verse 31 and 32 of Luke 5. Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. What do you mean, Jesus? That kind of metaphorical. Verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to Repentance. That's Jesus' mission. He does not come for those who think they're morally superior, but those who confess their rebellion against God's authority and acknowledge their sin. And remember, as I say often, sin is not just limited to what we do with our actions, it's what we love with our affections. It's deeper than what we do, it's who we are apart from Christ, we can't get away from it. And our sin is not measured by weighing our good against our bad, as if there's some eternal scale God is always evaluating. Oh, they're, they're good, they're good. Oh, well, not, not that. like, that's not what's happening. Like one drop of poison ruins a whole cup of water, one sin in our souls condemns us guilty before God. So too often, we treat God as some type of cosmic Santa Claus who keeps a list of naughty and nice, don't we? And if we can just get our nice to outweigh our naughty, we'll be good. And then we'll get presents. But that's not, sin is not just naughty, it's rebellious adultery. And to one degree or another, all of us are guilty. It's rebellious because we defy God's rule. He calls it spiritual adultery because we love things more than him. And so Jesus' words expose our greatest need. Forgiveness of sin. And guess what? He meets that need. So when Jesus tells this man, your sins are forgiven, it sends the religious leaders into a tizzy. Like, they're like, You can't do that, Jesus. Who do you think you are? See, these religious leaders knew their Bibles as well. They knew forgiveness of sin required a priest, a sacrifice, and a temple. And Only God could pronounce forgiveness of sins. We read in Isaiah, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Daniel 9, to the Lord belong mercy and forgiveness. So the Pharisees and scribes, they're right. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus does not deny that. But he does do this. He invites the Pharisees and us to see that he is God in the flesh. The religious leaders miss that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, mighty God. Jesus is mighty God who has authority authority to forgive sin. That's what this passage is teaching us. And Jesus knows that these leaders are thinking, oh, that's easy to say, Jesus. It's much harder to actually heal him. So Jesus, playing along, says, yeah, all right, get up and walk. Guy gets up, walks, takes his mat, and go home. Notice there's three commands of Jesus, three actions by the guy. They all happen. So Jesus heals the paralytic publicly to show his divine authority to do what only God can do. Forgive sins. And again, isn't this what we celebrate at Advent, at Christmas? The very reason Jesus came was to be a savior. Luke 2. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? Savior who is Christ. That's the good news. That's Christmas. We have a savior. You shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1:21. Jesus is our savior. Jesus, mighty God, uses his power not just to rule over us, but to redeem us. Will you turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone to be reconciled back to God, to have peace with God. See, Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin through his sin-paying, wrath-absorbing death. He saves us from the power of sin by sending his spirit to indwell us, to change us, to submit to his good authority and live in joyful obedience to him. And one day, because he rose from the grave, he will save us from the presence of sin altogether. See, God's goodness, this wonderful counselor, who doesn't work the way we think it should work, takes a barren womb, a bloody cross, and a borrowed tomb, all places for death that we might have eternal life in Christ. And all of this happens by grace through faith, not by works. This is one of the reasons that God so kindly brought Jesus into the world the way he did to an unwed lady, to show us we cannot work our way to God. It is a miraculous work. It's not about us and our effort, about God and his grace. This paralytic could do nothing to heal himself, and you can do nothing to heal yourself. It requires the work of Christ. There is a divine problem. Christ is the divine solution. That's why he entered into human history. Christmas is about God coming to man, that man might come to God. The story of Christmas must be shaped by the cross of Christ. Yes, Christmas is a time to look at a tree. But not just the one in your living room, it's the one on which Christ hung. The manger in Bethlehem leads to a cross on Calvary. The manger and the cross, symbols of weakness and shame, God in his mighty power turns them into redemption and hope. Will you come to Christ? Maybe that's for the first time this morning. Or maybe right now it's the second. He welcomes you. You've done nothing too sinful for him that he can't forgive you. Will you come to Christ? Maybe it's for the hundredth time or the 101st. He's mighty God. He's forgiven. If you trust in Him alone, Jesus brings redemption to the rebellious and salvation to sinners. Restoration Church, let's remember that this Christmas season. That is, we're ministering to others, to our family members, inviting others into our lives, that our Lord despises no one who comes to Him with genuine faith and trust. Jesus put Himself in the middle of the outcast, the sinners, to serve them, so should we. We don't have to always feel the burden of being prim and proper and put together. Wipe the plastic smile off. It's okay. Be honest and vulnerable with one another. We want to be a family that's messy and merciful. We don't weaken sin. But we love one another as we invite each other to repent from it. We bring our mess into each other's mess, and God uses it to make something beautiful. That's a wonderful counsel. That's a mighty God. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. Jesus, mighty God, makes us clean. Jesus, mighty God, forgives our sin from the cradle to the cross. Now, He wears a crown. Eternal God. One day, Jesus will come back to restore all things and establish his forever kingdom the way it was always meant to be. That's what these miracles are pointing to, by the way. They're not just like, oh, that was neat to do. No, he's giving us a people, a picture, a preview of the kingdom, the Revelation 21 kingdom, God with his people, no more tears, no more death, no more disease, none of that. Emmanuel, God with his people in the forever government, enjoying God. And each other. This is the story of Christmas. The story of Jesus who came once and is coming again. A story meant to amaze us, capture us, rescue us, transform us, and lead us into awe and wonder and worship. Will you do that this Advent? Rejoice, rejoice in the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God. And if you have to, you can even make up new words to praise him. Celebrate the gloriness Of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we celebrate who you are. You are magnificent in all your perfections. We thank you that Jesus is mighty God. That his holiness is more contagious than our uncleanliness. We thank you that Jesus is mighty God who forgives us when we trust in him. As we respond, stir up our souls in awe and wonder and worship. Amen.